And welcome to episode 121 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we continue our journey through awards season fair with one of Netflix's big contenders, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But first, how are you, Scott? Doing well, Scott. As I've been talking about the last couple of weeks, I'm looking forward to this really long vacation that I had planned. And today is day one of that four-week vacation, so I'm doing great. I told you that as my goal was to watch like a movie a day, basically to catch up on compared to last year, at least a much lower movie count than what I am about about pretty much about half of what I was at this time last year right now. Unsurprising, I think also looking back on 2019, one of the greatest years in movies, I think, in our lifetime. And so it's a little different this year with the with the distribution landscape. But there's plenty of movies out there for me to see. So I'm really excited to get going on that. My Rainey's Black Bottom was one of the first ones there. And I also watched Never Really Sometimes Always today, which was a good a good one to knock out because that's been on the back burner for i mean that movie came out in march in theaters and i didn't get to see it so it's been out for a while but yeah i'm doing pretty well how are you yeah i'm good a lot of the stuff i'm excited for you to to watch stuff too because a lot of the stuff that you've yet to watch is some of like the best movies of the year so i think you know sure uh 2020 has been a little bit underwhelming i guess compared to 2019 but i think things are going to start to pick up for you as they have for me like i you know i i was looking at my list just today and was like this is a really good top 10 and there's still, you know, a few movies that uh, are yet to come. I mean, you know, Nomadland obviously being the big one that isn't even going to come out until February. So March. really? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's true. March. as we, Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. L- but, limited um, release in February, wide release in March. Yeah. Well, if it's if it's somewhere like within driving distance of me in February, um, like in an indie theater, or something, in I might go check it out. Yeah. So, or Charlotte, somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, I might go check it out in theaters just to see it because I'm dying to see that one. But, you know, we have some others that are, you know, coming coming up here with Soul and Promising Young Woman and Pieces of a Woman. And, uh, yeah, a few others that, um, uh, you know, are, are still definitely in contention for my year end list. So I think when all yeah. is said and done, it's going to be a fine year in movies um, despite yeah. the circumstances. Yeah. And look like it's, it's almost unfair. Like any I think even without the distribution problems of of this year, I think that 2020 was always going to have a hard time going for me going up against 2019, yeah. which I mean, some of my favorite movies of all time came out last year. And so it was always going to be difficult for 2020 to, to measure up. But I think when all said and done in a couple months from now or three months from now, whenever I think probably Nomad Land is like that final is that probably that final movie, <laughs> the final yeah. piece of the puzzle. It's the 1917 of this year, right? I mean, honestly, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think once that is in place, I think that we're going to look back and we're going to say, you know, this was probably comparable, if not maybe better we'll see than 2018 yeah maybe so maybe so but uh we have another one of those movies to focus on today scott another movie that is in the oscars race generating a lot of positive buzz uh and that is ma rainey's black bottom adapted from the play by the pulitzer prize winner august wilson and directed by broadway veteran george c wolf ma rainey's black bottom is set on one hot afternoon in 1929 chicago when famed mother of the blues ma rainey played by viola davis is to record songs at a studio run by a group of white men striving to creatively control Ma. While they wait for Ma's arrival, her bandmates Cutler, played by Coleman Domingo, Toledo, played by Glenn Turman, and Levy, played in his final film role by the late Chadwick Boseman, engage in a series of spirited conversations about race, status, and more as they grapple with the changing world around them. When Ma arrives and clashes with Levy, Tensions in the studio start to boil over and begin hurtling towards tragedy. Scott Ma Rainey has decorate has decorated source material and a ton of Oscar buzz around its cast, but does it deliver the fire and depth of a good play, or is the drama strangled by the four walls of that recording studio? Man, what a what a good question. I think the way that I want to start this conversation, and I think it's impossible to not talk for me, it's just impossible not to talk about this movie in this way, is like what a cast. Just like what a group of performances and performers that this movie brought together. I mean, I know we have one night in Miami that we're going to talk about, 
no late i shouldn't say later this year because i think it's going to be next year when we talk about it in january yeah. um but you know we're going to talk about one night in miami which i think has a similar it seems like it has a similar lens to look through you've seen it already you could speak better to that point but this movie i mean obviously one night in miami also kind of set in a similar one evening type environment contained four walls of a of a, of a hotel room and this one is you know more than four walls but it's a studio that it's contained contained in and boy do the five six i i if you want to count you know her ma's girlfriend you know five perform key performances here really pop off the screen i mean every single one of them and it's <laughs> i i jokingly have said this about other things on, on my letterbox when i'm comparing movies and like ranking them but it really feels almost unfair to compare some of these performances against each other because you know as the with, with the material that it has all then and i want to get to that in a second but you know, regardless of that material, the story, the drama involved with it being a play and translating that to a screen, just the performances and the emotion and the heart and the liveliness, you know, anything you can use, I think, to describe the performances, all of it's clicking for almost, I mean, I think every person in the cast, you know, Viola Davis, who is probably the name, you know, without the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman, I think Viola Davis is the name that jumps off the screen uh, or jumps off the page in, in the cast of like, you know, she already did something similar with Fences, won an Academy Award for it, you know, a few years back. And every role she has, you know, she is a powerhouse in it. Like Widows from a few years ago. Did she do something last year? I can't remember. Um, but like the point is like every single performance, she brings some fire. And it feels like she brings a different fire to like every performance that she has. Like just is able to make them feel original and different uh, and unique every single time, which is something really amazing. And she does that perfectly for Ma. I can't imagine another actress playing this character. I mean, I'm not super familiar with the real life figure of Ma Rainey, but after watching Viola Davis do it, I'm like, I don't know who else could do this role. And I feel similarly about Chadwick Boseman playing Levy. I mean, you know, I don't know if that is a real life person or not. I don't, I don't think this was based off true events or, or you know, is I think this feels like it's relative fiction overall in terms of it, the play being written. Obviously, Ma Rainey being a real person, but. Chadwick Boseman in his final performance, you know, I've been mixed on some of his performances in the past. I mean, he's been good overall. I think he's really good in Black Panther. Um, this performance is special. Like, it really is. Um, it, it's hard not to, to watch the film with the knowledge that, you know, he has passed now, of course, like, I, I don't think anyone's going to watch this movie. I mean, okay, that, that's probably hyperbolic. There's going to be some people who watch this movie that don't realize that this person has died. At the end, of course, in the end credits, they tell you that, you know, the movie's dedicated to him. But look, it, it's impossible to remove that lens from it. But I, I can't watch. I also don't feel like I can watch the film and not think this is his greatest performance that I've seen. I haven't seen all of his performances, but this feels like the greatest performance I've seen from him. And for it to be your final performance, to to for it to be a performance that is getting a lot of conversation around, you know, even I think even independent of his passing, I think this was this would be a performance that he'd get a lot of conversation around the Oscar for about the around the Oscars for. And it's deserving. I think it. You know, I think he'll be in the lead category. I mean, I would imagine so because they'll probably campaign for supporting for him and Defy Bloods, Netflix, that is. So I think he'll go in supporting that. I think this is right up there with Riz Ahmed for me from last week for best performances of the year. I mean, it's that it's that good. It's such a fantastic performance. And then going further down the cast list into the supporting roles. I mean, I guess Ma Rainey, she might be a supporting role as well. we'll yeah, see. I was I was going to say like that at least for me, if I were voting in the categories at any of these film critic circles or whatever, I would put Viola Davis in the supporting category because I do yeah. think that Chadwick Boseman is the only lead in this film. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I wouldn't argue with that. I am curious to see where she does end up, end up landing. But even going further down the list with Coleman Domingo and um, you know the rest of the cast, I mean, Coleman Domingo, I know that we're going to talk a little bit later on about there's been, you know, I believe is it Glenn. I'm forgetting his last name right now. Glenn Terman. Glenn Terman. I mean, he he won Best Supporting Actor last night at the LA Film Critics Association Awards, um, and a great performance from him as well. I think a, a very emotional performance there. But Coleman Domingo, honestly, the first 20 minutes of the movie, first half hour of the movie, it was his performance that I really just felt like just brought everything to life at first. And then I think he does his job in the first part of the film, and then you have Chadwick Boseman, Viola Davis come in. And really just take over, you know, every moment of the film after that. But, you know, these supporting performances from uh, Coleman Domingo, from um, Glenn Sternum, and I forget who plays um, 
drag i i can't remember the character's name it's like a random name but it, all three of those performances are really really good and i think they're all they all would be worthy honestly of of oscar conversations for me they're not all going to be in the oscar conversation for supporting actor um but th i think that they're all worthy i think literally everyone in this cast is worthy of oscar consideration or awards consideration they're, it's that good for me when it comes to every you know the other parts of the film it was you know, it wasn't perfect. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it that way. I think that as good as the performances are and as good as the, the I mean, I haven't read the original play. I haven't read, I don't know. I don't think I've read anything about August Wilson. But there was something about the way that this movie translated that to the screen. And maybe it was the fact that it was only 90 minutes, right? Like it was so short. Like at times it felt really rushed. Um, the pacing wasn't quite not, right. Not even 90 minutes when you take the credits out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Sub, like sub yeah. yeah, when you take the credits out, sure, sub 90 minutes. Um, and that it really, I don't say this about many movies, and I know you are even more hesitant to say it, but like this movie could have been longer, and I think it would have been better served for it because each character, like I was saying, it's, it, they're so rich. And I think you're, the, the narrative is trying to mine details and emotions and events and, you know, stories and experiences out of every single one of the characters. I think that that the honestly the movie misses a chance to dive deeper into some of that and and have things develop a little bit more methodically or or, or slowly and just let you live with those characters a little bit more because there's nothing boring about this movie. Um, you could definitely live in this in this studio for a little bit longer with these characters and get a little bit more and maybe explore a couple of the you know more subplot like themes of the film a little bit more and, and get to know uh, and get to and get to really live with these characters and 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 go through the emotions that they're going through a little bit longer to make things feel more measured, less rushed. And I think the pacing, when you, whenever I think of like, oh, this felt kind of rushed, you just think of the, the pacing kind of being off. And I think that's that was the truth, the truth of the matter there. And I think that the, the, so the story, I think is a little bit lacking in that department and is a little bit of a disappointment, but what's not to love and enjoy about the movie to be uh, to just to be really honest when you have such powerhouse performances carrying through carrying you through even if the narrative itself feels a little rushed at times yeah i'm in agreement scott i think that uh you know and and this is the thing right about plays being adapted to film you know as long as you don't get something like crazily wrong with the casting you're going to get usually really attention grabbing performances because that's how plays are written, right? They're more of a showcase for the actors. There's less you can do visually and, you know, stuff like that on stage. So it's more about the actors. It's more about the dialogue. Uh, and, you know, the, a lot of them are kind of in one setting or, uh, you know, a couple of settings like this film is. Um, and yeah, you know, Fences was the same way, the, you know, other August Wilson adaptation. But I, I think the Fences was the same way with terms of the cast as well, right? With, you know, you have Denzel Washington, you have Viola Davis, but then, you know, down the cast list, everyone in that movie and the supporting cast is really good. You know, Stephen McKinley Henderson and Russell Hornsby and some of the other people I can't remember. But um, I think the point I'm trying to make is that August Wilson writes really good characters. And when you get really good actors to play those really good characters, it's like it's an explosion that like just jumps off the screen and and you you got that in both fences which i personally really enjoy i think i know some people did have trouble with the staginess of that and those same people will probably have trouble with the staginess of ma rainey as well because it's even more so than fences i mean fences there's at least a little bit more of sense of the world around uh you know this one house but here you really are in this studio the entire movie yeah. Um, well, I, I haven't seen those people because it has a 99 on Rotten Tomato and like an 88 on Metacritic. So, well, they're out there. Trust me. Um, I'm sure. they, and, and, you know, you can look at the positive reviews even and they will, um, you know, make, make that same remark. But anyway, um, yeah. yeah, Fences, I really enjoyed. I don't think this film is as successful as Fences. I don't think this film is as successful as One Night in Miami, which you mentioned, or like just to talk about another movie that is very stagey, like the trial of the Chicago seven from this year, right? Also had a similar, like every actor is just getting like meaty roles to tear into. I mean, one night in Miami being the same way, um, which makes sense because Sorkin's a play, right? But uh, I don't think this movie is as good as those, um, those movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's hard to deny that the performances are incredible and that the, um, writing is really strong in some areas. Now, 
the play has been trimmed down significantly uh, from the original script, from what I understand. Ruben Santiago Hudson adapted the script. And um, from what I understand, he, he has made, uh, you know, some effort to pare down what, you know, August Wilson's uh, play. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know whether that was the right move or not. I mean, may, maybe he felt like because it is so claustrophobic and, um, you know, really dialogue and actor driven, we need to like make this as short as possible or else it's not going to hold audiences attention spans. But I think I'm in the same boat as you, Scott, that I think we could have done with a little bit more time to flesh out some of these characters, especially because I think the big decision, like the big action that happens at the end of this movie without spoiling anything. I was left scratching my head a little bit like, well, you know, maybe we saw a little bit of flashes of this, but I'm not sure that like it, this still felt like it came out of nowhere a little bit. The, the final action that is taken by one particular character at the end of this movie, which uh, is kind of the final note of the movie. Um, I was, I was very, uh, I was surprised, I guess, uh, because I don't think that the character had been um, fleshed out quite enough to where I believed that he was possible uh, or likely to do what he does towards the end of this movie, um, which is maybe something we can talk about when we get into spoilers. But yeah, I mean, look, the movie is very watchable. It's very entertaining. Uh, you know, August Wilson writes some great monologues. That's another thing about like adapting plays to film and, you know, why the actors are always going to, you know, grab your attention right there. There's these, you're not going to see this in other films. You're not going to see films where like Chadwick Boseman, for example, here gets an unbroken monologue for like, three minutes or something where he's telling the story about um, when he was younger. And, you know, that just gives, you know, actors so much room to do, you know, to just show off like it is, it's a one man show. They're, um, you know, show they're, they are, you know, it, the only attraction of this particular scene. I mean, the, the writing, I guess too, but um, yeah, that, that, that's what makes this different. And, and again, I think what makes it juicier for actors, but that's not to take anything away from the actors, right? Because I think um, they've chosen the perfect people for all of these roles, um, as you've kind of alluded to, Scott. So, um, you know, I think this movie deserves any and all Oscar love it gets in the acting categories. Beyond that, I don't think it really uh, transcends its stage roots probably. Um, and again, I'm not someone who usually has a problem with that. Like, again, I liked Fences, even as I recognized the staginess of it. But I just think that the particular story and characters that are being told here are just so like bursting with vibrancy and energy that like it just I wanted more like I they, they were ready to burst out of those walls and they never really do. So um, that was, I guess, my my issue with the staging of the movie, um, whereas normally like straight up play adaptations don't bother me whether if they're you know stagey or whatever but yeah yeah i mean what's weird is why and i'm i don't necessarily disagree i'm still processing it it's like it sounds like you're saying that the the acting is so good that it's like it's hindered by the fact that it's a play or like like because there's just so much life in these characters that was one thing that just really like i said it just pops off the screen is that every single person is just so lively and energetic Mm -hmm. in this film um which I, I just, it, it just sounds like you're saying that's like a double-edged sword for the film. And I find that, I find that a little bit interesting. Yeah. I don't, I mean, may, maybe it is, maybe it's just, I don't know if that's the way it's written or if that's just the actor is just absolutely tearing into the roles, but um, it just felt like, you know, especially the, the these, these big personalities and um, you know, again, a lot, a lot of energy and the music and um just a lot going on that I wanted to, you know, and even like a theater is a more, I feel like a more expansive setting, like, you know, looking out over the audience, like, I, I don't know. I just felt like I, I could see myself enjoying this a lot more if I saw it in a theater, I guess is my point, as opposed to watching it on my, you know, computer on Netflix. Um, I just think, you Put know, the computer up to the TV and everything up. Well, I mean, I do that sometimes, but, I know, just um, but yeah. I, I don't I don't know of a better way to say it, but yeah, I, that that I guess was the issue uh, to me was that I feel like it could have been freed from that recording studio a little bit, even if that's not how the play was. I think you know the the writer and director might have considered taking some creative liberties, right? Like um, one night in Miami, for example, right? Like a lot of it is set in the hotel room, but um, 
Regina King also makes some efforts to expand things beyond that. They go on the roof and around the hotel complex and stuff like that. That just, I think, makes it feel a little less claustrophobic. And, you know, maybe making it feel claustrophobic is a little bit part of the point here. But I think when the pacing is so protracted, um, I don't I didn't fully get the sense of like the tension reaching its boiling point and feeling like, oh, I need to get out of this room because something bad's going to happen. Uh, because of the tension boiling over. It was more like, I want these actors to be free and, uh, you know, show yeah. off. Uh, and that's why I want out of this recording studio. Interesting. If that makes sense. But let's talk about the actors, Scott. Um, and let's start with Chadwick Boseman, who I do think is the lead. Um, do you want to talk more about his performance, his final film role? Um, you know, we see we saw this a few years ago with Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, you know, passes away and then, gives what is arguably his greatest performance, most iconic performance, wins an Oscar. I think Chadwick Boseman is probably headed there too. Um, but do you think it will be deserved? I mean, one of the good things about Heath Ledger's performance, I think, is that I think even despite the circumstances, there's nobody who's really skeptical about Heath Ledger's win, like whether he deserved to win or not, whether this was just like, hey, we're extending this to you because of the circumstances, because you passed away. No, like he was the best supporting performance of that year. Um, but you know that narrative is still going to come up with Chadwick Boseman, right? With uh, people probably, people probably are going to say if he does get the Oscar, hey, well, they only gave it to, to him because he passed away this year just as an honorary thing. Um, do you think it will be a shame if people say that or um, a shame if they give him the Oscar? <laughs> do you lean that way? Uh, you know, do you lean more towards those uh, skeptics, I guess? Look, I think those people are crazy. Like, they must not yeah. watch the movie because, I mean, probably Chadwick, not. In some, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chadwick Boseman is is inc it's just incredible in this movie. Like, I've like I said at the sort of at the outset of what I was talking about in my general impressions is that I haven't been always been, you know, the biggest fan of his performances. I didn't think, I mean, I mean, I didn't think the Thurgood Marshall movie, just Marshall. I, I didn't think that was a good movie, and I didn't think he did that well in it, to be honest. Um, and then black. I mean, I, I like him in Black Panther. I think he's a great Black Panther. I think personally, I think it's a it's a good decision to not recast that role. And, you know, after after his passing, and here I just think this is the performance for me that just takes the cake for for him. And look, I I'll I'll reserve judgment maybe about whether I think he should win the Oscar to when we see the nominations and I've seen all the all the performances. But I don't like usually the way I feel about the best actor you know nominations is that. Most of them are justified or deserved winners. Like, do I have a preference on which one, or, or do I think that one is better? Sure, but is like clear a threshold of like this was a this was a memorable and you know great performance that it is deserving of awards recognition. And I think that this role like easily clears that bar. Like, I, I don't even think it's close, honestly. And like I said, when you know we we were talking last week around, about Riz Ahmed in, in The Sound of Metal and that being the best performance that I you know I'd seen that so far this year. And you know who knows if he'll even get a nomination, but. It's a shame if he doesn't. And I feel the same about Chadwick Boseman. Like it would be a shame if he doesn't get a nomination for this. Do I think he's like basically a lock for a nomination? I, I do think he's a lock for a nomination. But do, but do I think he's got is he is he a like sure fight, you know, a sure thing to win? I don't know. I think we'll see how other award shows go, other other critic sites giving out awards as the season progresses to see how he's trending. I think that'll be a good determining factor uh, or predicting factor of how things might go at the Oscars. But if he does win. I, I think it's absolutely deserving. Does that mean that, you know, when push comes to shove at the end of the year, am I, I going to say this was the best performance? I don't know yet, but it's certainly in the conversation and I doubt it will leave the conversation between now and the Oscars are in April. So, Yeah. I mean, I'm with you in terms of Chadwick Boseman is not an actor who, you know, I've considered to be like one of my favorites or anything like that. I mean, if you go back to our black Panther review, actually, I, you know, I thought he was one of the weaker parts of the movie to be quite honest with you. I just, I, I mean, I it wasn't be Jordan overshadows him. In the well, movie. that's that's the thing. It yeah. wasn't that he was he was bad. It was just I felt like he was outshined by Michael B. Jordan and you know even some of the other supporting cast, Letitia Wright and people like that. Um, and you know, Forty Two is a very by the numbers biopic. It sounds like Marshall is kind of the similar way. I have heard well, that no, Mar Mar Marshall's not good in my opinion, but I'm I'm in the minority right. there. Most people think it's good. I mean, but uh, but I have heard right that the one to watch and then I haven't watched and that the James uh, Brown one, right? Right, get on up and is the most comparable to this, which I can totally see that right because James Brown was this really larger than life character. The charisma that he shows here, I was like, 
dang it that's what makes me sad that we won't get more um you know more performances from him because i feel like this is just like the tip of the iceberg starting to show what he could really do when he's allowed to just let loose um and yeah he's just so vibrant so energetic it's amazing to think about that he was like you know dying he was like in really bad shape when he was making this movie and what i don't know what he had to do to be able to summon this type of you know absolutely leaving it all up there on the screen but it's almost like he knew right that maybe hey this is my this could be it for me and so i am gonna you know just leave it all out there on the on the screen and i think he absolutely does that um and you know and he you know gives a performance that is worthy of being his last uh and best performance i think it 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 absolutely is his best in my book it's really not even close from the ones that i've seen um and yeah, you know, he 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 makes the most of some of those monologues, right? You know, we can talk about how, you know, they're written for for actors and actors eat those up, but you know, you still have to get out there and you still have to deliver it in an impassioned way um, when when game time rolls around. And he does, like you know, he the em- emotions, the raw emotions that we see him uh, expressing, like the just the you know the transitioning in the course over the course of one monologue, right? Like the you know emotional changes that he undergoes over the whole movie. But then again, like I said, just in the course of one monologue are amazing. Like, you know, he doesn't end up in the same place as when he started his speech and that feels right um, for what this character is talking about. And so um, I think the raw emotion and energy that he brings to this role is, yeah, absolutely one of the best performances that I've seen this year. Um, And if he wins the Oscar, You'll have no qualms for me, and you'll you will not hear me saying that it is only because he passed away that he won because he that's silly. easily yeah. easily could have won without that. Considering the film is you know it it would have been mar- it, it was marketed as an Oscar contender all along, right? Like yeah. long before Chadwick Boseman passed away, I think this would have been right in the Oscars wheelhouse. And again, when you have this type of fiery play to go off of and you have and and look no further than fences i mean like fences was yes it was mainly in the acting categories but it was still cornered like and earmarked as an oscar contender for sure i mean denzel and viola davis like how is it not going to be an oscar contender but i think this is the same idea talking about viola davis now scott uh obviously you know she's a commanding presence on screen and that for me is why she's the perfect person to play this role because ma rainey is just somebody who walks into a room and just automatically has your attention and that's viola davis in every single movie right like not just this movie yeah. like to me that is that is just her 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 on-screen presence um, i need to rewatch like, widows i gotta rewatch widows yeah and so i can't imagine like you said who else could have played this role i mean i'm sure there's somebody well, Goldberg there, but... played it in uh, on broadway on okay. broadway arrival yeah well i mean look this just see it, it just seems so tailor-made for viola davis though but um do you think uh she it feels weird to say that Viola Davis is like having to hold her own in a movie, right? But I think that's just the nature of Chadwick Boseman's performance. And, you know, the fact that it is more of a lead than I would say than Viola's is. Um, do you think her performance matches the quality of Chadwick's, which is the one that most people are talking about? Yeah, honestly, honestly, I do. And maybe it's just some sort of like, intangible element of you are Vi- you you are Viola Davis like <laughs> you walk into a room and people pay attention to you anyway right like there's some aura probably about her You're an alpha she, yeah I mean honestly is there something above alpha um but like look it's it, it works it works really well and she commands that you know that attention not just her as a figure on screen but like her as Ma Rainey right like I think she is this special again like the special kind of actress who I think is able to not disappear into a role, but bring something different to every performance, even if it feels like a lot of those characters and a lot of those performances, you know, if you just look at it on paper, they look similar. I mean, I'm not saying Mar- like Ma Rainey is a pretty like unique type of character, but it doesn't feel that different than like the other types of characters she's played in the past. And she brings something different to them every single time. And I just think that's incredible. I think it speaks to her, uh, like her range, her ability. And again, that like X factor thing that she can bring to all roles that make it special. I think that there's, she's not the only one like that in Hollywood, but I think it's a, it's an elite tier of actresses that, that do that. And she's absolutely in that tier. I think that she's asked to channel so much energy. I think in those times when she's on screen and it's, it's like a real battle of wills between her and is it sturdy Vaunt and 
I can't remember her manager's name. I can't remember her manager. Yeah, maybe it'll come to me. But um, it's Irvin. Irvin, that's what it is. Yeah. So Irvin and Start Event. And Start Event owns the studio. Ir- Irvin's her, her her manager, and it, it's like she's really playing a game with them, right? And like that game is like who is more authoritative and who who is wearing the pants in those relationships. And I think that she masters that in this movie, and she channels all that onto the screen. You know, again, not just in that battle of wills with the people that I just mentioned with, you know, with the two white men who are trying, as you said in the intro, like trying to exert their, you know, assert their creative control over her, but also asserting her creative control over, you know, Levy and other people in the band who might be um, acting out if that, if that's the right way to put it or, or trying to assert their own authoritative control over her work. And I think that it really, this feels like more of a sub it's not really subtext, but it feels like a sub theme of the movie to talk about like, you know, you know, authorship over your own, um, you know, creative vision. We've seen this in a few movies recently. Yeah. And especially what that means for a woman and for a black woman in the 1920s. It's like that. That is a, I think that is, there's a lot to mine out of that topic there. And, you know, do I think that they could have gone further? Maybe, but I think that Viola Davis is able to capture so much of that, um, you know, of that theme with every moment she has on screen. Again, I think it is it an equal to Chadwick Boseman's performance. Sure. Like, I, again, it feels weird to compare them almost because they're both so good. But she's absolutely worthy of being in the conversation for Best Supporting Actress, which is probably going to be a difficult category this year. It seems like there's like a lot of good female supporting female <laughs> performances. But well, again, it, it depends on where some of those performances, I think, land, whether it's act, Best Actress or Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, no, she's she's phenomenal, like I was saying. And yeah, obviously it's that like power that she brings, yeah. um, that authority. But also, like you were saying, that intelligence that she brings to the role, I think, is really important to the character because she knows she knows her power. She knows her power, right? Like she knows that, you know, the white men, what they like need is her to actually get in there and record these songs and you know, if they start giving her stick at any point in the movie, she could just threaten, hey, well, I'm out of here then. You guys don't get what you want. And, um, you know, it actually takes till the end of the movie till we see exactly what they want. But that's, again, that's part of the, I think, intelligence of the um, character is that she knows when she can use that power to, um, you know, to control those the white men, I guess. And the sad reality is at the end of the movie, you know, she kind of has to release her rights. I'll just come out and say it, right? She has to release her rights to her music. The white men are the ones who end up getting to sell it. They're the ones who get to end up profiting off of it. And the same happens uh, in Levy's case as well with, you know, the the white band ends up recording his song. So there's interesting ideas here about, you know, I think Ma knows exactly how far, like she knows exactly where the line is and she is able to push them all the way up to the line, but she knows when, you know, she's worn out her welcome and when she cannot ask them to go any further, right? Which would be, you know, her retaining the rights, right? Like, not to bring it up, but I'm thinking back to like Little Women and Joe, like demanding that she's going to retain her copyright at the end of the movie. Well, Ma Rainey is not exactly in a position to be able to do that in the movie. And she understands that. So that's why she ends up having to, to sell her, or to, to sign away her rights so that you know the white men can get most of the profit off of her music. That, that was just off the that was just the one song. I I take your point, but that is just like the one song they recorded, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, do you not get the sense that this is probably happening? Yeah. If if not has not happened before, it will will be happening again, probably. Again, this is this yeah, is just what she has to do in order to succeed as an artist, in order to keep going as an artist, is to make these kinds of sacrifices. And that theme to me is the most interesting one and probably the most fleshed out one over the course of the movie. Um, And so I think that is where the movie is dramatically successful. Um, Although not so much other uh, in other places, but yeah. Yeah, Anyway, Viola Davis gives a really nuanced multifaceted performance, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And and one thing I do want to say about this, about, you know, beyond just the the performance from Viola Davis is that I also find Ma Rainey to be the most interesting character in the film as well. Yeah. I mean, there's I mean, yes, there are some things that go you know, unexplored about, you know, her being openly gay in this time, I think, as well. Like, I think that's something that doesn't doesn't go super in detail about. But 
I think more importantly, like she's not likable. Like I'm just going to come out and say like, she's not a likable character at all. And I think that the interesting part about her character is that she has arrived at a place where she has to assert her dominance in all these ways over, you know, the white men, what, you know, Sturdy Vaunt and Irvin and her band, because no one ultimately is on her side. Like no one in this, you know, in this landscape of people she surrounds herself with are really with her, right? Like there are, there are members of the band who, you know, they're getting paid, you know, Levy's trying to, you know, again, assert his own control or his own influence on the work. Certainly the white men are like just trying to exploit her. Right. And she has to create this environment where, you know, frankly, she's not a very nice person. And I think that is super interesting about this is like, she's not this like lovable figure who you're rooting for in the movie. I mean, you may end up rooting for her anyway, but you're not rooting for her because she's like so likable, right? Like you're rooting her for, her. if you're rooting for her, you're rooting for her for other reasons. And I find that to be easily the most interesting character in the film. And I think that they explore it to the right extent, but I also would have been okay with seeing more of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I'm with you on that. I agree. I think she's the most interesting character. Um, as far as the other supporting performances, Scott, I know you've highlighted Coleman Domingo, Glenn Turman, obviously is getting some love. Um, and there's a few other names in the cast. Uh, do you want to say anything more about the supporting cast here? Yeah, I'll speak some more. I'll speak some more on that. It was like I mentioned, like Coleman Domingo for me is that the member of the, you know, maybe the downcast supporting cast uh, that's that popped off the screen the most for me. I just think that I just loved that character so much in the first 20 to 30 minutes. I think he really sort of immediately brought the film to life. I mean, yes, he's like the one that's like kind of in control um, and, and whatnot, but he in like kind of the de facto leader, I think, and kind of the right hand man, if that's the right way to describe it for. He's like, Ma he's Rick. kind of a mediator, right? Like he's, he's kind of like trying to just keep tensions at a manageable level <laughs> inside the room. Yeah, that's probably a, a good way to describe it. And I really liked that. I liked what he did with that character. His name is, is it Cutler? Is that his name? Cutter, Cutler, yeah, something. Yeah, like that. yeah. So I, I loved that performance from very soulful. I think is the way to describe it. And again, full of life and full of energy uh, to really set the sort of like set the tone for the film. And then you get these, you know, kind of as a compliment to that, you get something like Glenn Term, what Glenn Terman is doing here to come in and sort of the back half of the movie, and again inject that soul, that soulful performance into the film. And, and I really appreciated that. Really liked it. I'm a little surprised he won Best Supporting Actor, to be honest, but not un again, going back to what I said at the beginning, not undeserved. I think everyone is worthy of consideration in this film, including Glenn Turman, including Coleman Domingo, um, including Michael Potts, who plays Slow Drag. I mean, look, that's less significant performance. I don't think there's going to be any conversation around that. Could be wrong. But again, I think all of those performances are worthy of consideration. They're that good. They're just like they are overshadowed. That's just the truth. They're overshadowed by Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis. Yeah, Coleman Domingo is slowly becoming an actor who I want to be in everything. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. I really want to watch him and, uh, you know, do a lot of different roles. Like, um, you know, I think the first thing that we I really saw him in was or I can really recall him being on the, you know, jumping on the screen was If Bill Street Could Talk, right, where he played um, the father of Kiki Lane's character. Um, yeah. And then uh, just in the past week, I watched the Euphoria special that he is in that is basically, again, another play that is just him and Zendaya in a diner for basically the majority of this special. Yeah, and it's it incredible. Ali, right? is that huh? name? Yeah, Ali. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like a drug counselor type character for, for Rue. But it's that special is incredible if you haven't watched it. Honestly, even if you don't watch Euphoria, like you, there's still a lot you can get out of that. But I it, it was funny because I was watching this and I was like, man, Coleman Domingo is so good. And that's like he should be he, in, he was all in the first season, too. Right. Like it's that wasn't yeah, he was. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. But I just he maybe it didn't leave, I leave as strong of an impression with me because he wasn't maybe allowed to have this type of yeah. uh, juicy, you know, role, juicy scenes and stuff. Sure. Yeah. I was like, wow, he's so good. Like he should be in a lot more things. And then I good watched news. he's in Zola. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I didn't even know that. And then I watched this movie and I didn't even realize that he was in this movie. Like after when I, when I started watching it and then he showed up and I was like, hey, there he is again. Maybe he is going to start being in everything. So it was great to see him. I totally agree with you. I think uh, he also has great charisma, great totally. uh, gravitas. Like, again, that that authority that I think every um, performer here really exudes 
um, is is true of Coleman Domingo as well. And yeah, I don't have a bad word to say about anyone in the cast here. But Same. Scott, we've talked about a lot of the you know major themes, plot points to some extent. Uh, you know, with a lot about artistic control. But I do want to before we finish up talk about what happens to Levy at the end of this movie, right? Um, because I was alluding to it a little bit earlier that I felt it was, it felt a little rushed in terms of his development that I was a little taken aback by what he does here at the end of the movie. And what he does, right, is he stabs and kills Toledo um, after Toledo stepped on his shoe. Now, obviously it is a lot- Not about that. But... About a lot more than that, yes. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering, what are, what are your thoughts on what was that really about and- did it feel like that the that was the that you, that you could see that coming was is that was that a natural result of the character that you had seen you know developed for the eighty minutes prior to when that happens? Yeah, good good question. I so I think this is where we differ a little bit because I, I think it is I, I did see that coming a little bit more and and it certainly felt like to me that it, I and I think anyone who watched the movie like it's not about his shoe being stepped on like sure maybe that's the straw that breaks the camel's back or whatever but what it's really about is about the way that everyone, you know, white men and black with Ma Rainey are treating him, right? Like he has like this. I mean, his whole narrative is about how, again, I used this to describe Ma Rainey earlier, which I think is also true for love. I mean, he, and he certainly sees himself, I think, in, in Ma Rainey and wants to, and certainly wants to, you know, be her, you know, for the lack of a better way to phrase it. Um, but like he thinks that no one's on his side, right? Like he thinks the world is out to get him that literally the Lord is out to get him, right? Like that, you know, the Lord is, ne or, or at least hasn't cared enough to, to pay attention to him. To, so much so that, you know, I think that, you know, he sees the way that Ma Rainey has treated him. He I mean, has fired him um, for his insubordination and just general, you know, I guess that's probably the best way to put it, insubordination, like trying to assert his control over her music, uh, overshadow her. And the way that Sturdivant treats him, you know, buying his songs off of him. And then as we see after, has a you know a white band you know recording his songs that there's no there's just no soul in those songs when it's you know bland white guys uh you know performing it versus when he performs it sort of in the recording studio downstairs for them um or sings it for them he doesn't actually perform it but he sings it for them but yeah it, it feels like it's about this notion of like everyone is against me and i'm so frustrated and so pissed off that nothing ever goes my way that i'm going to take it out on this this thing that is most adjacent to me. And that is in that moment, you know, um, this, this character stepping on his shoe and not really seeming to care like Toledo, not really caring that this has happened. Um, and does Chadwick Boseman really care that it's happened? Like, yes, he cares that it's happened. Like Levy cares that it's happened, but again, it's not about that. It's about something more. And, you know, again, maybe, maybe this is the irony that, it, that, the work intends but like this idea of he has these dreams of even though he's fired from Rainey's band like he has his music he can get, put a band together and he'll be Rainey one day but he you know nixes the the, the possibility that that is going to be true he he banishes that right by committing murder in this moment like he's never going to have a career you know let alone become Rainey after this happens and it's very uh self-defeating I have mixed feelings about that narrative. Like I, like I know I actually, I don't know when this play was written. I assume, I mean, I assume it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago when this play was originally, if not longer. Um, and it's, it, it just feels like it's a bit, I don't know, lacking. Like it doesn't, I saw it coming, but it, it doesn't, when we're talking about like what makes a movie go from great, which I think this movie is to like a masterpiece, like the narrative thread doesn't really feel like it doesn't, not only does it not feel satisfying and there's nothing wrong with a narrative not feeling satisfying if that's the intention it just feels like it doesn't it doesn't add up to something very clever or very interesting like i think the narrative touch of you know oh like you know the, I, i'm painting with broad strokes here but like black man like self-harms his career by committing like a crime against another black man like that doesn't feel like super like super meaningful or super deep or it, it almost feels derivative also at this point, which is unfair to say, because again, this play is probably written 50 years ago. But um, to me, it just didn't add up to something that was like, wow, what a deep message that this movie has for me. And I was kind of expecting something like that after what I felt like, you know, yes, that it was mispaced at times, but some of those monologues, some of those speeches earlier on, like 
they really hit home, but the ending didn't. It it almost like dilutes that final moment of the white man singing his song in a way, right? Because he does he commits murder, like you like you said, his career is in the toilet, as would be anyone's who committed murder, right? Like the, it it all it takes the racial element out of it almost to an extent. Um, even though well, I know it turns that it turns the racial element in a direction that I don't yeah. think is, is per, well. Productive is probably not the right way to put it, but you know what I mean. Right. But yeah, my, my point is you could you could look at that. I mean, I think you'd have to be super tone deaf to do this, but you could look at that in the ending of the movie and just be like, oh, well, he killed somebody and now he doesn't get to sing yeah. his song. That would be missing. That's, the point. What, that's what happens to people who murder people. Um, sure. And like, again, I, you'd have to be pretty tone deaf, I think, to have that, you know, that interpretation. But I think they, you know, they leave too much room. They they leave too much wiggle room for that in the end. Instead of you know, if Levy had just walked out of there or whatever, like it would have been the same result, right? Like the white people, the white men, the white band still would have ended up recording his song, and I think we would have had an even more potent message about how, you know, you could be a black man, the most well-behaved black man in the world, right? And this is still going to end up, uh, you know, being this the case because this is just how the world is. Um, yeah. So that was a little bothersome. And, you know, just the fact that he turns to violence specifically is like kind of again, I, I understand. Yeah, there's anger. Some of those monologues. Right. You know, the he rails against God. That's like the most famous part of the play um, is that sort of speech. And then he has the long story about the white men beating him up when he was young um, and then, you know, hurt, he, did killing his father, I think. Or, or was it? Yeah. he. Yeah. Because I don't, he, think, they, I don't think they beat him up. They, they raped his mom and then they his his father went down and tried yeah, to kill shot them a few of them and then they, he, they yeah, shot he killed him. four yeah. of them is what is what the character has and then he was killed so right um so yeah you know that that he has endured a lot in his in his life but i don't know i i feel like there's still a sense of community that he has with his fellow african americans right in this setting yeah that just makes it feel really like again out of left field for him to then turn on well he doesn't turn, feel that connection he doesn't feel that connection yeah I, I i guess i maybe but again, again it doesn't I feel like a like, weird plot develop to me it doesn't feel like a weird plot development i just don't think the plot that plot development is interesting yeah i mean it i i don't think it's interesting and i also it did take me aback a little bit just because i think just the fact that he turns to violence specifically and like straight up murders him there was like wow okay um but maybe that's the point um Maybe he was just a volcano waiting to explode. And, you know, that was how he exploded. I mean, obviously the shoes thing is played out over the course of the movie. Um, I guess maybe he sees this as sort of a status sign, sign of reputation, something like that. I think it's something for him to hold on to. Like, I am worth something because I have this. Mm -hmm. Um, Even when everyone else is telling him that, you know, you're not really worth anything. So... Um, yeah, m- much to ponder, but yeah, the, I guess just a little dramatically unsatisfying in the end. Um, though I, I fully acknowledge that if I saw this on stage, maybe saw it the whole play, you know, done as August Wilson wrote it, then um, I would enjoy it a lot more, possibly. But uh, just a little bit lacking uh, as a film for me. But with that, Scott, I think we can move into the wrap up for this film. Uh, what was your favorite scene or moment? Yeah, look, I, I, some of those moments, I think when you get the exchanges between with all of them, there, like Ma Rainey and the full band and Irvin and Sturdy Vaunt, th- those scenes are my favorite ones because I think you get all of the, you know, very sharp dialogue, the barbs back and forth, Ma sort of playing this game with both sides of, you know, if she's in the middle, right, if she's like the the creator, there's people who are supporting her creation and there are people who are trying to, you know, exploit her creation. And I think those moments where you see her balance both of those things, th- those are the favorite scene, my favorite scenes in the movie. And I think, you know, the one where she's defending Sylvester and convincing the band that no, like this is the way we're going to do it. Cause I'm the one in charge. I love that. I love those scenes. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a shill for music in movies. And so I think, the scene where they finally get it all right and sing Ma, Ma Rainey's Black and perform Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, the song in the studio there, right? Like, again, Sylvester being a huge part of that, having to get the 
opening spoken word part of it right without stuttering. When they do that, I don't know, just the, the I mean, the music's great, the joy that is sort of emanating from all of the characters in this brief moment where they, you know, sort of feel their collective bond as they're all doing what they love to do. Um, that was, you know, a, a definite high point of the the movie to me. And um, yeah, those performances are, are knockouts. Um, let's put a score on it, Scott. What do you give Ma Rainey's Black Bottom out of 10? I'm giving it an 8.6. And I'm at a 7.3. I am a little bit lower just for some of the reasons that I hope I was able to articulate. Um, but you can't deny those performances are absolutely dynamite. And like I said, I won't complain if this gets Oscar attention in the acting categories. Uh, speaking of awards attention, Scott, after the break, we are going to discuss uh, the results over this past week from the New York Film Critics Circle and the Los Angeles Film Critics Circle's yearly awards voting. Uh, so stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, we are in the thick of the word season, as I have said, uh, and uh, we've kind of been visiting every week now with uh, the various award circles as they are starting to uh, to turn out their winners for the year. And uh, we got a couple of the major film critic circles in the country, um, probably the two major ones, you'd have to say. Uh, LA and New York each had their uh, awards. The way these work is... Typically, the critics would all gather for a big like lunch, I believe it is, um, and uh, they vote, continuously vote over the course of the after morning and afternoon uh, in the various categories. So they, they're voting right then and there, and then the runner-up and then the winner are announced um, there in the room. But obviously, all of this was done virtually this year, um, although in a similar fashion, I believe it went on, you know, sort of all day and with yeah you know live nominations basically going on but scott why don't you start by telling us about uh what happened over in new york with uh you know some of our uh film critics that we follow david sims david ehrlich you know there's some eric Cohn. eric Cohn from IndieWire, sure yeah yeah so new york film critic circle i think it happened on friday can't remember it was like someday late in the day late in the week last week and i'll just we'll just start at the top scott why not start at the top because i think that i don't want to say this is out of nowhere that this film would win best film. I think it's certainly in that conversation, but it's not Nomadland, which I think is nice to see at least some diversity here. And that is in fact, first cow won best film. Uh, so that is an a 24 movie that briefly came out or, you know, I guess before the pandemic technically. Right. Um, yeah. And has managed to surge through COVID times and stay relevant. I, you know, you just, I think you just watched it the other day. It's on my list of, of one of the next couple of movies I'll be watching you know, as I watch again, my one movie a day over the next few weeks, it's definitely going to be one of them. And it won best film. It didn't win any other categories. And frankly, I don't think it's a movie that's going to have that many more nominations, maybe some in the more technical categories. I mean, sure. Maybe Kelly Reichert gets in the best director conversation, but it won best, you know, best film. Nevertheless, Scott, what are your thoughts on first Cal taking home, you know, the big prize here from the New York film critic circle? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing about these film critic awards. I think a lot of them are the film critics understanding who is going to get nominated and who has a you know who has a legitimate shot of not getting nominated, winning whatever, and maybe trying to give some love to films that probably are not going to be um, necessarily recognized as they should be in when the big awards roll around the Golden Globes and the Oscars. And I think First Cow is absolutely one of those films, right? And to your point. Maybe it, you know, sneaks a Best Picture nomination, um, but what's it going to get beyond that? I, you know, I really enjoyed the film. I don't think it is going to be in a screenplay category because there's really not that much dialogue in the movie. Um, although, you know, that's actually... I Maybe mean, production design or something. I don't know. I haven't seen the film. 1917 didn't have that much dialogue either, and it had a screenplay nomination. Well, there's more, to be fair, there's more that goes into a screenplay than dialogue, but yeah. True, yeah, which is, which is why I'm not counting it out for First Cow. But again, it's 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 an indie... It has a very indie sensibility. It is not a super accessible film. Right, Kelly Reichardt's thing is that she is known for what pioneering what is called as like slow cinema. Her films are very deliberately paced. They don't have a lot of dialogue. 
there's not like any sort of flashy style, anything like that. They're usually just simple character driven stories. Um, and those aren't always the films. Those usually are not the films that get Oscar attention. So I do think that maybe some of what the LA film critics are doing here is or the New York film critics, sorry, uh, are doing here is recognizing a film that they know is probably going to be on the outside looking in when uh, big award season comes around. And, you know, th this is not, this is nothing new. Like um, I remember like a couple of years ago, Elizabeth Debicki was like cleaning up all of these film critic circles for her performance in Widows. I don't think anyone really thought she had a chance at the Oscar nomination at any point there. But again, people were recognizing a good performance. The same thing happened here. Or sorry, that was at LA too, I guess. Or no, it was it was New York with the best supporting actress category there too, right? Like with Maria Bakalova winning for Borat subsequent movie film. I don't no way Maria Bakalova is going to get an Oscar nomination. I would be stunned if that happens. But uh, I think they're recognizing a, an excellent performance with the with the acknowledgement that hey, these are the types of performances that the Academy doesn't usually recognize. So we're going to show some love uh, because we are the ones who actually have the power here. And I respect that. Yeah, and I think that 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 notion that you're talking about here, I, I think it does sort of trickle through the rest of the wins as well. I mean, you're talking about, yes, Delroy Lindo did win Best Actor mm -hmm. for The Five Bloods. I think you will see him get a nomination uh, come awards, you know, come the Oscars and the nominations there. Um, but otherwise, I mean, talk about the love that Never Rarely Sometimes Always got with Sidney Flanagan. Um winning for best actress and Eliza Hittman winning for best screenplay. I don't dis. I mean, like I watched that film today. I really like that movie. I think those are both worthy, you know, things to recognize of the film. I thought I found that film from a screenplay perspective. I found it really impactful. There's a couple scenes in there that they hit like crazy. I mean, those, those things hit like trains uh, when, when you get to them and Sidney Flanagan is, I think it's a, it's a great sort of unflat, like unfl almost unflappable, to an extent and you know very stoic performance from you know a teenage girl i mean i was looking looking at their wikipedia page no clue how old this person even is that doesn't have an age on their wikipedia page um but look it stoic unflappable very believable love the performance i don't think that they're going to win an oscar but no. uh, and, and i think they are they might be on the inside of the uh, of the oscar nomination race for the best actress but I also wouldn't be shocked if they don't get a nomination. Um, so I think that seeing that here and then also with the screenplay, like I was just talking about, it's really nice to see that. Another one that it might trickle down to as well is the cinematography for all the small acts films. I find that one an interesting one. And, you know, we'll see how the Oscars actually group those things together. The critic, you know, the New York critics here grouped all of the films together as one. Um, and nominated that for cinema, or I shouldn't say nominated, awarded that cinematography uh, praise there. So that's an interesting way to handle it. I'll I'll be intrigued to know if that is the way other award circles handle those films. And, and then uh, also with Wolfwalkers, I mean, look, with the powerhouse of Soul uh, from Pixar this year, which is getting a lot of love, maybe not universal, but it's getting a lot of love. And onward from earlier this year, I think it's very reasonable to think that Pixar would dominate the conversation there, you know, but Wolf Walkers, it's getting a lot of traction. It's getting a lot of goodwill, which we saw from some of the Netflix candidates last year, like Klaus and, um, oh, I forget the French one that Netflix had last year in the animated with the, with the disembodied hand. Uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it right now. Oh, I lost my body. I lost my body. That's what it is. Yeah. You know, they were getting a lot of traction in the category as well, but ultimately Toy Story 4, I mean, one, I mean, which it's almost like everyone else overthought that, like the Oscar and the Academy goes, goes for the Pixar movie. Um, so we'll see if that, if that carries through, if that story is the same here as well. But that's sort of how the acting categories shook out. Chadwick Boseman did take home an award at, at the New York Film Critics Circle, but not for uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He took it home for Best Supporting Actor, in the five bloods. And I know that we just talked about saying this a moment ago. I don't know how he won best. Sprint. Like uh, that performance is not worthy of yeah. an award um, for the five bloods, but he's certainly worthy of the, the award from all black bottom. Um, I, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't see the five bloods, but I'm maybe I'm a dissenter on defy. I don't really know what that, like, I don't think Delroy Lindo should win either, but that's just me. Um, certainly a good performance, but wouldn't be my pick. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think if there's anything to praise about that film, it's Delroy Lindo's sure, uh, yeah. performance, if, if there's anywhere it deserves to be recognized. But yeah, it, it wouldn't be my pick to win either, right? Like, I, that, there are several I would put ahead of him. Adwick Bozeman ahead of him. Yeah, with the, you know, a couple of things you said there, Scott. First of all, with the animation thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it probably will be Pixar ultimately, just because that's how the Oscars trends. But don't count out Wolf Walkers, because it does come yeah. from a studio with a good history i think with song of the sea secret of kells and the breadwinner i'm pretty sure we're all nominated for the uh the academy award for best animated yeah, I, i'm not doubting the nomination yeah I'm, yeah i'm not doubting the nomination um so you know it, it's it, it's not coming out of nowhere i guess is my point and then with small acts yeah this actually provoked a lot of consternation right because i guess just moving ahead to la just to bring to wrap that in because it's relevant sure. Yeah, Small Axe was the winner of Best Picture, right? Um, and all five was, films together, right? I see. Yes, the yeah. the the uh, the why can't I think of the word? The anthology yeah. was the winner of Best Picture, and this was strange too, right? Because Best Music went to Lovers Rock, or it was the runner-up, either one of the two went to Lovers Rock, which is an individual film within Small Axe. Yeah. So they need to have some consistency, I think. I mean, and I personally. I believe that they should be treated as five individual films. I do not think that small acts should be up for the Oscar for best picture, right? Like I think that um, if you're going to do that, you might as well put normal people in the queen's gambit up for best picture, but um, not a I problem think, with me. Yeah. Not a problem with me. Like, <laughs> if you're going to do it, make it this year. But um, I think that, uh, that, that you should treat them as individual films. And it, it feels weird to see that inconsistency there in the LA uh, film critic. It's, it's the inconsistency that I think is a bit mind-boggling. Right? Yeah, it's not that they did it one way or the other. It's that they didn't. They did it differently in different categories. Right. Um, but looking elsewhere, Scott, a movie that got a lot of love in L.A. that not, did not get as much in New York is Promising Young Woman, which we're going to yeah. see um, in a couple of weeks, uh, or which, which at least I think I'm going to be able to see in a couple of weeks. Um, movie theaters are closed in Boston again, so I don't know if I'll be able to see it. Yeah, but you know, winner of best screenplay, beating out Eliza Hittman, as you said, from Never Early, Sometimes Always, Emerald Fennell winning best screenplay there. Yeah. Winner of best actress with Carrie Mulligan uh, winning for uh her her lead performance there and yeah it just it got a lot of love um which is good to see because i'm really looking forward to this movie i it looks up my alley so i am cautiously optimistic um that it's going to deliver viola davis was treated as a best actress in this uh this in these in this voting at least uh she was the runner up there to carrie mulligan as i mentioned chadwick boseman did win for uh best actor um and Glenn Turman, right? Like, and here's the thing. I think it's a little bit of recency bias. If we're being quite honest, Glenn Turman gives a fine performance. It wouldn't be in consideration for me. Uh, I think that people, I mean, the majority of these critics in the room probably just watched that this movie like this weekend, a couple of days ago, uh, when it hit Netflix. Maybe they had early screeners and watched it, you know, a couple of weeks, but still it's, it's relatively fresh for them. And I wonder if that... Um, slanted their perception at all paul racy being the runner-up someone who i think is a name we should probably we can probably expect to see more of coming up throughout award season than we can with glenn Turman. i think i i really do kind of think this might be a one-off for him um but we will see maybe this is the this will thrust him towards the spotlight a little bit more yeah um, i mean i was certainly surprised when you told me last night that it was glenn Turman who had won yeah award. and then best supporting actress right uh Ya Jung Yoon, who's a name we've seen coming up uh, yep. early in award season here with her performance in Minari playing the grandmother, um, will be interesting to see, right? Like, obviously, we had an Asian grandma performance last year with with Zhao Shuzin in The Farewell, and she did not get nominated despite a lot of buzz around her going into the Oscars. Can Ya Jung Yoon uh, break the curse? We'll see. Um, and the runner-up there being Amanda Seyfried and Mank, someone who I do think is going to be pretty much a lock for best support, for a Best Supporting Actress nomination at the Oscars. So um, maybe a little chalkier there in that category. But otherwise, I always enjoy looking at these, you know, for the reasons that I said. I think that, you know, they have a, there's a lot of free will for the critics to recognize some films that may not get recognized in uh, you know, once we get into the thick of award season. So um, I, I was happy to see um, 
you know, some some films like Promising Young Woman and uh, even Sound of Metal, right? Getting getting love. Uh, I, I think uh, I appreciate that. But anything else to add here, Scott, about uh, the L.A. awards? So, yeah. So sorry. One thing that I didn't get to talk about um, and I meant to is that even though No Man's Land got shut out of Best Picture at or Best Film, I shouldn't say Best Picture, Best Film at New York at the, with the New York critics, it, she Chloe Zhao did win Best Director uh, for No Land yeah. at um, sorry with New York. And I, did No Land pick up any awards with the L.A.? Yeah, I, I should have mentioned that as well. So Chloe Zhao also won Best uh, Director at, in L.A. with uh, Steve McQueen ru- being runner-up. But then it flipped for Best Picture with Small Axe winning Best Picture and Nomadland being the runner-up. So, Yeah, look, it, it's very, very early days. Can't emphasize that enough because the awards are not in February this year. They are yeah. in April. But it seems like Chloe Zhao might be rolling her to a, like an Oscar Best Director lock. But we'll see. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I am certainly down to see female directors getting recognized. Only one has ever won. I was about to say two, three, no, but Catherine Bigelow, I believe, is the yeah. only one who's actually won for uh, Best Director. So, um, yeah, maybe Chloe Zhao can make some history this year being the first woman of color to win a Best Director award. That would be cool. So, um, yeah. anyway, yeah, I think, I mean, look, and there are there are always every year there are some awards in the you know the big categories that are locks like you know a couple years ago much to our chagrin like Remy Malik was a lock for for best actor um last year you know um Laura Dern was a lock for best and actor. maybe those will begin to develop as we get deeper into award season but it's hard to yeah, tell maybe I was just saying I think that this year early days yeah very early days Chloe Zhao could be that best that lock in a big category yeah, no, that's that's a good shot, I think, uh, from what we're seeing so far. But, you know, films fade. It's weird. However, I think we're out in March. So. Exactly. That's what, exactly what I was going to say, is that with this coming out much later than, like, yeah. you know, A Star is Born or Boyhood or something, to, to name examples of movies that were like, oh, this is going to win Best Picture when it came out. But it came out, like, fall. And then by the time the Oscars rolled around, it was, like, yeah. forgotten. But anyway, um, Nomadland, I don't see that happening, too, but. All right, Scott, that should do it for this episode of Some Like It. Scott, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At Shelton 2013 You can also find me over on Letterboxd at the same place. And I am uh, at Twitter on uh, at Scarvey Dent. I'm on Twitter at Scarvey Dent uh, and at Letterboxd on this. Wow, words. I am on Letterboxd at the same. Uh, mixing up my like uh, conjunctions, whatever you call those words. I haven't taken... Uh, English in a while, but you can find me on Letterboxd at the same handles at Scarvy Dent. Uh, don't forget to be- check out our podcast Patreon page, patreon.com slash media plug pods. Um, you know, check out all of our tiers and everything over there. Even if you can't support us over there, though, uh, you can still rate, you can still support us by rating, reviewing, subscribing, do all of the things that doing all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app, Apple Music, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, We hope you will join us for our next episode of the podcast, which will be a double episode on which we will be reviewing two huge Christmas releases uh, coming straight to streaming and theaters, Soul from Pixar and Wonder Woman 1984 uh, from DC. Until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.